everybody, it's the H Word Podcast. <laughs> I'm Becky. I'm Dan. Um, we're out at a park having some beers, cuddling up together. Which I did see yesterday. Picnic table beers. Really? We're kidding, yes. by the way? Oh, picnic table beers. Yeah, I did see that happening. And I'm also seeing a lot of people saying, don't get together. Oh, we talked about this last episode. Like, what are you doing? And it's like, I, I realized that what's coming up for me is that it's like, it's like I have, um, it's like a radar for fun. Like, I don't want people having fun because I'm not having fun. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot in that when people react so negatively to what they're seeing. Well, this it's is like, hey, amazing. We're 30 seconds in, and that's a pretty great revelation, Dan. <laughs> Thanks. Well, it is. I think it's a lot of people are going through that. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was something that, that occurred to me yesterday. I was, I was uh, uh, walking to get a car share, and, um, and I saw two different meetings, two, two different meetups. And I could see that one group was, like, trying to do the, like, very performative distancing. Right. This, like, kind of, like, I'm hugging you from here, this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then the other group, they were just, like, they threw that out the window. They just looked at me, like, what are you going to do? Which one were you more <laughs> mad at? <laughs> well, it, it, it because I was equally mad at both parties, then I just started to examine what was coming up for me. Well, if I may, though, if you saw, like, say, a family and the kids are having fun, are you mad at them? Um, no, this was not a family. Like, there are families, and this is – we're doing so much profiling these days. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but there is this, like – you do see a family and you're like, no, they clearly live together. Like, whatever. They're a unit. I don't – that's not a problem to me. Um, but this was this was, like, probably four families in a parking lot. Getting yeah, but, together, performatively distancing. Yeah, that's not cool. But also, what I'm trying to get at is maybe it isn't fun that you actually are mad about. Maybe you, maybe you haven't rejected fun to the extent that you think you have. Well, I'm trying to understand my relationship to fun now, and <laughs> okay, and like where and like where I can have it. Is it just on Zoom? Please, God, don't let it just be on Zoom. Like for the rest of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> I just – and so when I see people having fun and they look at me like, what? I'm having fun. What are you going to do about it? I'm like, is – when do I just decide to say the same thing that you're saying? I am I feel myself inching towards um, just going out and having fun. I mean, it's very small. Like, I know, right? I saw a friend the other day and we touched our toes of our shoes. Right. But – my shoes are disgusting, and I take them off when I come in the house, as per all the recommendations I've read. So, well, because they're, I they're I on the filthy fucking sidewalk, like yes, and I don't wear uh, I, I I obviously don't wear shoes inside. People hork on the sidewalk, so like these shoes are already contaminated, so it just feels like I'm allowed to touch his shoe, right? <laughs> Well, this is, but this is it, right? Like, I have a long-standing relationship with denying myself fun because I think that is the right thing to do. Think, take for example my experience of high school, which ended, and once it was over, I was like, "Oh, I didn't have to try that whole time." Oh my god, I would, I know, I would have been fine. I didn't have to worry about anything. I would have been totally fine, and. It, it's like you, I see that cycle relive itself over and over. What, what's what's one for you? 
Um, high school is really good. Um, although I didn't graduate high school and I was so stressed out about it. And then it utterly didn't matter. Yes. Like I wasn't a bad student. I just didn't graduate. So I was like, and I didn't graduate because in my mind I was being selfish. Now here is what I considered selfish. What I considered selfish was, or like, like I, like I'm special was that instead of taking consumer education, the, the class where you learn how to balance checkbooks and comparison shop. I um, did outdoor education. Um, I did like a career preparation diploma in theater and film. I was in French immersion and I was in advanced placement. Wow. Uh, Full CV. Okay. Yeah. But, and I felt <laughs> like my, my takeaway from this was, oh, Becky, why do you think you're special and that the rules don't apply to you. When I was taking this gigantic course load, directing shows, like doing work placements at theaters, cleaning the stage at night, and like handing out flyers, this like yes, I, I yes, felt like, this is exactly what I mean. <laughs> we have a similar profile, but like, why did I think that then I was a bad kid because I wasn't standing in solidarity with my friends who had to do consumer education? Exactly. And I right. and I didn't so- and I didn't graduate and. I went to interview at a community college and they were like, they looked at my scores and they were like, you can go into second year. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And I was like, so scared that they were going to, I I genuinely thought they were going to yell at me. And that's not how the grown up world works. Yeah. They were going to show you, (laughs) they were going to show you a picture of the empty chair at the graduation ceremony. Yeah. And be like, recognize this. Make me look up irresponsible in the dictionary in front of them until I cried. Yeah. So, like, we have, and I think a lot of people have, a very particular uh, connection to rules. Yeah. Uh, we think they're important. We follow, it's like, we, we hold them in high esteem, put, put a lot of stakes on rules. And this is, the, this is where the clash is coming up, is that, uh, you know, it's like, to do, the, like, there's the right thing, and then there are the rules. And it's like trying to reconcile those two things and how much other people are reconciling them and how much fun they are squeezing out of the lemon of life and how much I am missing out on on uh, enjoying something that, that I am denying myself because I think that is the right thing to do. Okay. There's a huge tension right now um, between – between actually I was so the guest that we have today is a CBC radio host. I was listening to her show earlier where she was talking about the tension right now between are we becoming a stronger community or are we going to be more me, 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 mine, mine, mine. And I think that there's something in that tension right now of like, if someone else is having fun, does that mean I deserve it too? Because they're getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the mayor of Toronto, John Tory did say, Ah, it's going to be a nice day. If people are out in parks, I get it. <laughs> and like, he said that. Y- yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. He also said, "Keep your distance." <laughs> no, but imagine I, you weren't paraphrasing. Uh, it's a nice day. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but he was saying like, you know, you know, people are trying to keep their six feet. I understand. I know you're not supposed to. He really said you're not supposed to go hang out with your friends in a park. I'll find the actual quote, but. People probably will, and will it be the end of the world? Maybe not, which is probably bad messaging because you, have to, uh, you have to message yeah. – well, but Dan, let's uh, let's figure this out. So you have to message hard so that 
people like us obey the rules too much and it all evens out, that's part of the equation. And we have to accept that. We have to we have to take on our role as the uh, people who follow rules too much. Yeah, man. You can't control what other people are going to do. That's that is that's abhorrent to me. We're doing the right thing and everybody should be doing it, but they won't. And if you're going to be an actual statistician, you have to acknowledge that. I understand you have to acknowledge that. But you also have to acknowledge that that's not fucking fair. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair. Dan, life's not fair. No, life- okay, I know I know that. I know that. But I'm I'm not talking about life. I'm talking about this particular instance. I know. I'm sorry. Okay, but I I, I, did, I feel the same way. It's very frustrating. Actually, no, I don't feel the same way. That's unfair of me to say. Because I go out and see people doing that and I go, I don't know. What, what you going to do? Like, I'm happy at home. I learned to make sourdough. I got to focus on that. I know it's wrong, but people people go out and kill each other every day. I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in theory, that is what they're doing. I know. But, you know, it was something, the interview I did with Michael Rahal, we talks a lot about sort of 12-step stuff and acceptance, has really, really stuck with me about other people are just not your concern. Like, there are people who work in policy who do have to concern themselves with the behaviors of the general public, but... Uh, yes, but okay, but uh, just sorry, I hate to cut you off because I want to hear I want to hear the rest of this, but I am my own concern. I'm concerned about myself and I want to do things that I don't feel I can. And so by definition, other people come into the equation. What do because you want? If I'm trying if I'm trying to have fun with your friends? Go outside and have fun with my friends. Well, we could go for a walk. <laughs> John <laughs> Tory said. <laughs> <laughs> But then, then statistically, we are not a rule follower, and and we uh, fall out of our role, as as you would envision it. I guess, but also we can wear masks and stay six feet apart. I know, but and I that just is want the rules. clear. I. <sighs> it's actually not the rules. We're not even supposed to wear masks, and that's the thing that I'm upset about. That 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 so that, that you're upset that that's not policy. Yeah. Uh, sure, me too. I think but- it's huge. And I think that's something that you could just force people to do. I mean, everyone, the, the amount of money that everyone down at the boardwalk has spent on their Lululemons, they can get a mask, look fancy, and just do it. They'll, they'll be fine. But then factor in, f- factor in, because it's a large part of my life, online outrage about people who are, it's like this this idea of like, hey, I'm seeing a full park. You know this? I, st- I We're still harping on it, but it's like such a, such a, big part of life right now, which is, look at this full park. This is bad. Um, and part of me says, yes, it is bad. But then part of me says, well, I don't know. Maybe they're all following the rule that they've been told. I'm just not worried about it because it's not my job. <sighs> I know, but, Dan. Okay, but here. what okay. is our job? I, our job is to stay home and stay happy and stay healthy and stay sane. I don't know if me calling people out helps. And here's the thing. So... Oh, my grandpa, um, my grandpa would not always go to, so on, like I try to make plans with my grandparents um, and uh, sometimes it'd be like a Friday night and I'd want to go to like, to go to dinner and I'd want to go to this Jewish delicatessen that we all went to. And he was like, I'm not going to go there. I was like, why? He's like, well, it's Friday. What if someone saw me? And I was like, well, they wouldn't be in synagogue either. Hmm. 
anyway, who are the people taking pictures? Why are you out there? I like I just that's what I mean. And and I, as someone who does like pointing things out and is an activist, this is also big and new for me of just yeah. like the cops are out there, people are making their choices. I'm focusing on my happiness at home. And I don't think Zoom parties are going to be the rest of my life, but they're okay. I'm planning a garden. I don't know. I'm just trying to do that. And honestly, I feel like you inspired me to do that because you're like taking news diets and all of that. And these things really helped. Yeah. And, and, I, and you know, maybe it's just I'm just talking myself into a ditch right now. But uh, 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 yeah, I can get I can get back to where you where you are at right now. Well, it is infuriating. Also, I live in a space where I have way quicker access to larger areas and I don't go to High Park because No, it's it, closed. It seems like oh, is it closed now for totally? It's closed during the blossoms, right? <laughs> right. Which is also lovely. I'm glad that the blossoms are allowed to just be themselves for once. They have a blossom cam on them. Oh yeah, well. 24/7 blossom cam. <laughs> well, they um are like Oh my gosh, in my mind, the blossom cam is just like all these deer and capybaras like frolicking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nature's healing, man. Yeah. Um I had one thing that made me feel hopeful. Hit me. Um I've been watching Drag Race. Oh, me too. Great. Okay. Um Let's. The, my last Zoom party was with uh, Brandon Hackett, who I interviewed here recently, and uh, his partner Chris Middleton, and we watched. Okay, I guess spoilers ahead if you watch Drag Race and haven't seen it. Um, but I'm so in love with Crystal Method, I can't handle it. Crystal Method is delightful, and she's so young. It's like this moment of the kids are all right. So first of all, the makeup that she ha- did on. <laughs> So it was like the last episode was super fans all came on and got to have makeovers. The makeover that she did on this woman was so incredible. And they they should have showed all this makeup technique that looked just like craziness. But it's exactly how I was trained to do clown makeup when I studied to be a clown. Mm. So I'm like, for all the drag stuff they're doing, somehow this young person from Missouri is doing mm. like Ringling Brothers clown makeup. <laughs> yeah. And gave the most ludicrous makeover to this woman. And the woman loved it. I'm like, this is Queen Witch material. Oh yeah. Like that there was a there was a cert, there was a real sublime quality to Crystal Method's effort this week because in the process of it coming to be, it looked like garbage. And you know it if was, it looks like garbage, it's gonna be transcendent, because that's how the editing works. I I sure, yeah, it's great. It's deft editing, but um but it, it, really, it really came yeah. together. It looks like a, it, it looked like a sort of psychotic, psychedelic dog's breakfast, and it was. <laughs> but it was like like for all for all the queens who are like I'm part of the avant garde new wave. She's like, um, I'm just sort of following my bliss, and I think she's a visionary. Like, it's, oh yeah, there is there was there was pure vision in that. It gave me just a lot. It gave me a lot of hope. It was like so in a very personal sense. Like I. I have a background in physical theater and clown, and I was like, whoa, it's still alive. Yeah, right, yeah. Like, Ringling Brothers, their clown college, that's not my training. My training was more artsy-fartsy, but, like, it shut down, like, maybe five years after I went to school in the late 90s or something like that. So it's it's truly an art that, like, 
felt like it, it's still alive. Actually, Ray Hall is still doing that stuff in Vegas and some other friends there. But like, you know, it's it's had some blows. And I'm like, oh, no, no. It snuck onto Drag Race. Huh. Yeah. Big time. Oh, my gosh. We have to post pictures of that makeover. It's it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. It's incredible. Um, yeah. They're, it, like, the trajectory of Crystal Method has been just so such a positive thing because it was on shaky ground for a bit of just like, um, is this, is this vision or is this nonsense? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's it's really come into, she's adapted uh, and learned. She has the best personality. Uh, Chris and Brandon and I were talking about this where I was like, why doesn't that personality win? And there's some thinking of like, if you don't, if you're not like, I want to be the next drag superstar. If you're like, I want to do wonderful work and make art. Like that's not what RuPaul wants. But it doesn't matter. She's going to be the leader. I mean, Crystal Crystal Method for president, as far as I'm concerned. And <laughs> I mean, they had they had specifically had a presidential episode, and she did not perform well. Yeah, she did. <laughs> I didn't like it. She did. I thought she did okay. But um, but uh, also that she named her drag daughter Opal Method. I mean, it's it's like it's not a joke. I, <laughs> it's just weirdness. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's it was wonderful. I was banking on rhythm method or something like that. No, opal. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Such good pairings of the super fans. Yeah, thanks Jada for the pairings. They were perfect. Mm. Well, okay, that was more uplifting. So on that note. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Dan, I'm so excited. The interview that I did this week was um, with. Uh, kind of a hero of mine, the host of CBC Radio's Tapestry, Mary Hines. Huge get for the H word. Huge get for the H word. Um, we cover so much stuff. So much of it was unexpected. And um, I was just over the moon with this interview and getting to do it. That's so great. Can't wait. Yeah. Okay, here it is. Bye. Bye. It's Becky. I'm back. And I'm really excited about the guest that we have today. It's Mary Hines from CBC's Tapestry. Hello, Mary. Hi, Becky. How are you doing? Um, how am I? I think I'm okay today. How are you? That's such a complicated question right now, isn't it? Yeah. I think I'm okay, too. Um, we sound so tentative, right? Like, I, I think I'm okay. And also, is it okay to be okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah, is it is it okay to not be upset all the time? Yeah. And it has to be, I think. I think it has to be, but I'm Yeah, right? Why are we why are we looking why are we going looking for extra trouble on top of what's landed on all of our heads? So let's be okay. We get to Just, decide. Becky, yeah, it's is, okay to be okay. <laughs> this is great. We're like ten <laughs> seconds in and we figured it all out. Um <laughs> Mary, uh, I usually let my guests introduce themselves. So mm-hmm. who who are you in this world? What do you do? What are you what are you about? Wow. I thought that was going to be an easier question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything is complex right now. I was just going to give you a straight up my name's Mary Hines and what I do for a living is host a show called Tapestry on CBC Radio. But if you say who are you in this world, then that no. to me, you know, but it, but it's that's a beautiful way of framing it. Because it encompasses a lot more than what, what's, do you do paid work? And if so, what is it? You know, who are you in the world is 
wow, I, well, I'm Ella's mom, and I, um, I was Randy's wife for nearly 30 years, and I am an old sports reporter who has never left sports, and as, um, as a very dismayed news boss of mine once said in television, he kind of threw up his hands and said, man, you can take the girl out of sports, but you can't take the sports out of the girl. Um, Whoa. I know it was, it, it was a real moment. I'm a, I want to say I'm a fledgling bass player, but then I realize, okay, I've been doing this for 12 years. So why do I still feel like such a total beginner? And why aren't I much better? I I should be I should be fucking John Paul Jones at this point, and I'm kind of not. I'm kind of not. I'm not. <laughs> this I, is, okay. I've already learned so much about you that I didn't know, and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> oh no! And I've probably said far too much. Oh man! Not yeah. at all. No, I not just, at all. I really like that. Who are you in the world? I I think I'm going to steal that for tapestry because that's the kind of stuff we try to get at on the show, and it's just so much more interesting than the. So what do you do? Which automatically puts people in the box of tell me about the job that gives you your paycheck if yeah. that if that is something that you do if you have paid work tell me about it and talk, talk about putting people in a tiny little box right well mary this is so validating to me because i've actually i've i'm pretty daunted interviewing you you're someone that i've listened to on the radio for a long time and i love tapestry and uh also the this question people seem to react and so such terrified ways sometimes to it that I felt like it was maybe a bad choice. Oh, Um, no, it's a great choice. It's a great choice. And consider it stolen. Please. (laughs) Absolutely, please. Well, and and exactly what you're saying was my thinking behind it was let people define themselves and don't make them just do it based on their jobs. Because I don't know if that's our culture, but it it Mm. seems to be like, it's like a joke about Toronto, New York of like, Mm -hmm. what do you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that maybe it's not even the question. Maybe we're putting ourselves in those tiny little boxes before anybody even comes along with a microphone and says, so, you know, tell me, tell me your story. So see, this is, this is one of the reasons you don't have to be daunted at all by any guest on your podcast, because I, having seen your improv and literally cried, I was laughing so hard, cried, I was laughing so hard. And I know a little bit about improv because my daughter does it. And um, I know, I mean, she's often telling me that the number one skill in her experience is you really have to know how to listen. So you have that. And I think that's then also the number one skill of uh, of interviewing is listening. So you've got you're a really good listener, and that question tells me that you have really good instincts, really oh, good this, instincts. This is why I brought you on the podcast. Thank you. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you and good night. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. Good morning. Whatever. We're done. Um, well, there's so much you said already. Okay, so tapestry. Let's um, for people who might not know what it is. Do you mind describing it a little bit? Yeah. Um, it's a it's a CBC radio show, so it runs uh, on the network coast to coast to coast. It, it's also on podcast. Uh, people listen online at cbc.ca. Um, it's a show that is a and it's very hard to pin down. I'm always kind of sheepish when I tell people about this because it it sometimes sounds really highfalutin, and I don't yeah. want it to sound 
pompous and, well, this in fact is a show about the meaning of life. Well, Be- I've made a podcast about hope. It's a hard sell to. <laughs> so you know, you know, you know yeah. this, right? Yeah. There are kind of baked in challenges to trying to just dis- like how audacious we're going to talk about hope or we're going to talk about the, the one we used to rest on for a while was what it means to be human. And we liked it, but it seemed to provoke a lot of eye rolling in people like, oh, really? Oh, is that all? Oh, you're, you're, you're discussing what it means to be human. And then we thought, you know, we weren't trying to be off-putting. We weren't trying to piss anybody off or sound like we were, that we had a really high opinion of what we're trying to do. It's just, it's really, it can be really hard to define the subject matter because it's kind of equal parts philosophy and psychology and spirituality and a bit of, often a bit of sociology thrown in. Yeah. And the, the, the thing the shorthand that we often go back to, we're, we're a small team and it really helps to have um, sort of phrases that we can hang things on during story meetings or if we're trying to figure out whether something would be a good story for us to go after. Um, like, is it a tapestry piece or is it uh, the kind of news piece that we should um, just leave for as it happens or for the right. current or for someone else? And sometimes we talk about, okay, this is going to be my real person talking to their real person. Like whoever the guest is, um, this is going to be my real person. Becky, if you're on, it's my real person talking to your real person. Wait, what does that mean? Like well, us as human individuals talking to each it, other? That, the, whole, the whole definition is kind of a work in progress, but it's, right. you know, kind of trying to get beyond some of the um, the game face that you wear if you're out in public or if you're at work, like what is truly on your mind, what's really in your heart, what, you know, what kind what keeps you going, what keeps you up at night. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And and the, it came, of course, because as you're going to see, I, I am incapable of going more than five minutes without throwing in a sports story. So here we go. Um, this is what, amazing. I didn't know this sports <laughs> stuff at all. I've, I'm a terrible researcher. Oh clearly. yeah, no, no, no. That's that's it. Doesn't always come up, um, especially on a show like Tapestry, right? Which is about right. what it means to be human, um, the meaning of life. But when I covered <laughs> sports, I did three Olympics, and um, m- my favorite was the Barcelona Olympics. This was the summer of 1992. And for um, for younger listeners or for younger hosts such as yourself, um, mm-hmm. the Barcelona Olympics, um, that was the year that Silken Lauman, a just kick-ass, brilliant Canadian rower, was um, really on pace to win the Olympic uh, title in, uh, in her rowing event. Right. And in training, uh, like not that long before the Olympics, it, it was horrifyingly close. Uh, a couple of, um, a couple of guys, uh, Germans in a training boat, uh, there were crossed signals, uh, in, in, uh, wherever they were training. I'm not sure if it was Elk Lake where the Canadian rowers used to have their primary training base. Anyway, the, the Germans sliced into her, kind of carved her boat in two and her leg was just right. mangled. And she, uh, came back and surgeons said to her, if she weren't an athlete at the height of her powers, she couldn't have recovered to the extent that she did. Anyway, she My came goodness. back and I think, I want to say she won the bronze. Like, astonishing that she was even able to compete at that level so soon after this horrific uh, injury. And 
I remember talking to her afterwards. Um, uh, we became friends and she knew my husband very well. Randy was the Olympic guy at the Toronto Star. So every athlete knew and adored him. Um, and she was saying something to the effect of is she had become really famous after Barcelona yeah. because I mean, of the, I am old enough to remember. This oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, just like not just because she won an Olympic medal, but because of the heroics that had to yeah. go into doing the thing. And so she could barely leave the house to go grocery shopping, to go clothes shopping. She became so famous in, um, I think she was in Victoria at the time. Yeah. And she said she was at a cocktail party one night and uh, she was speaking to some guy, someone she had just met for the first time. And she said with this like tone of wonder in her voice, she said, it was amazing. It was like, my real person was talking to his real person. And I've never forgotten it, like just that it was so, um, that it was such a stunning thing to happen, you know, that you'd have this encounter with a stranger and neither one of you had your game face on. There was no mask. There was no putting on airs. There was no, you know, here now I have my cocktail party persona on. It was just, she was trying to describe something so kind of profound, you know, it was just no bullshit. My real person talking to his real person. And I've always, I stole that. And I've, <laughs> I've, I've always thought, okay, that for me, that's as good as an interview gets. If I feel that somehow I've brought my real person to it and the guest has brought his or her real person to it. Um, it's like, wow, that's, that's enough. That is, that's, I'm good if that happens. That feels so extra scary now though, doesn't it? I mean, that, these are my, my goals as well, but we live in an age of like Instagram filters, profoundly. Mm, mm. And do you even think it's possible on the radio not to have an element of performance in it? That's a really good question. And I'm going to say there must be people who are um, skilled in performance to like just an ungodly level because I'm pretty sure I'm getting the real person often. And I think some, I think that has something to do with the nature of the show and the kind of questions we ask and the kind of topics we get into. Right. So it's sort of built around, um, if we're asking you to come on the show, we hope you'll bring your real person because we're, tr- we're going to try to give you the host's real person. And so that, you know, just so it's not like a waste of everybody's time because there's so much performance out there as you say in an age of Instagram filters and everywhere else right. it's almost like okay then I don't want to bother if it's going to feel like performance and I don't want a guest to have to come in and have to bother putting up some kind of front what did what has floored me is the and maybe it shouldn't have floored me, the extent to which that's happening now during the pandemic, Yeah, it's happening more than it ever has on our show. And it's even happening in pockets where we think, we think we're going to step out of that. Um, my real person talking to your real person, because it's also a big ask, you know, to say to someone, um, whether overtly or whether it's just kind of the contract that you're signing by being on the show. And I don't mean a literal contract. I mean, if a guest has heard the show, yeah, yeah, if a guest has heard the show at all, they kind of know what they're getting into. 
And there have been moments in the last couple of weeks. So we're doing this music feature called Soundtrack for the Soul. Okay. And the idea is we're asking people, we're asking listeners to get in touch on Facebook or Twitter or on email. And we're asking guests, what's the music that's just keeping you alive right now? We're in a, we're in a scary moment. We're at a, we're at an unprecedented moment, whatever words you want to throw around to describe it. Yeah. Is there a song that's just really um, keeping you going? Is there a song you're turning to for comfort or for laughs? And we thought, okay, we're just going to, we're going to be an assembly line. We're going to whip off a bunch of these. We're going to devote a week to this kind of interview. We're going to do two a day and we're going to do them every day. And, you know, to a show like As It Happens, that's a joke, right? Because they're doing 47 interviews every day, but we're not that kind of show. We do We'll do an hour with a single guest, and it's wow. very, very intense. Um, so we thought, okay, we're going to step out of that tapestry zone, and we're going to just whip off two interviews a day, you know, for the next six days. And <laughs> we none of us realized that the show doesn't work that way. And I don't seem to work that way either, even when I'm trying to just do a quick hit of a music interview. Yeah. And every one of these interviews turned into like either I was crying or the guest was crying or I'd hang up and cry and then try to get, you know, have a cup of tea before the next interview because I didn't want to be crying at the start of that. And like it was just, it was hilarious. And I said to my colleagues when the week was over, um, why didn't I see that coming? Like, am I just, am I stupid? I've done this show for a long time. Why was I thinking we were going to just dip in and do something really lightweight and on the surface and really casual and it's, hi, how you doing? Tell me about your music. Well, no, it it wasn't like that with any guest and the guests were getting weepy and you know, Jamie Campbell, who's a baseball, wonderful baseball play-by-play -play guy on television, was talking about how he has pivoted, to use the term of the moment, he's pivoted yep. to just calling people and calling people's parents and calling people's grandparents. And they love you. They miss the Blue Jays. Do you think you could give my grandma a call because she really misses baseball on the radio? Well, then he starts telling me about how these calls are what's keeping him going. And he has taped a couple of phone numbers to his fridge because they are the people who are in the final weeks and days of their lives. And oh all they gosh. wanted was a call from Jamie. And so Jamie did the call, but then he is calling them again. And he's calling them again because it's giving them such a lift and it's giving him such a lift that he wants to keep it going. And I, so I kind, of, I kind of blunder into this saying, hey, Jamie, how's it going? I miss baseball desperately. What have you been up to? And he's telling me these stories. Yeah. And I'm a wreck. And then I'm hanging up from that call, having really a good, serious cry, having a cup of tea and then getting into the next call, um, which is with a psychiatrist on the next on the West Coast about the music that's keeping her going. But we seem to be just, um, it's beyond our abilities on this show to do things that are superficial, which I guess is kind of cool. But I I was really hoping to to sit down with guests and just talk about you know, what's yours? Creedence Clearwater Revival, that's awesome. Thank you and good night. <laughs> 
What's yeah, yours? That's Squeeze. Not- <laughs> that's great. I love it. Goodbye. <laughs> it's not. It's not your destiny. <laughs> oh shit. Not right now, anyway. Oh, that's so fascinating. So, <sighs> so one of the big questions that I had for you, and I did not know that your background was in sport, um, <laughs> is how did you end up in tapestry? I will also say. So you've defined it as, um, you know, real, our real people talking to each other. But to me, the thing that that uh, is so resonant is that it's a space for spirituality and spiritual thought on a national broadcaster. And yeah, that spiritu- too. <laughs> yeah. And that spirituality includes psychology, you know, th- th- there's a space for this and this discussion, which is sort of important to me. I don't have any particular answers, but I have a lot of questions mm-hmm. in those worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you end up there? Um, so I, I had left sports and I had, um, I had, I had moved into television, which is something I didn't, I also didn't see coming because it had no, I love newspapers and I love the wire service world and I yeah. love, I just love print. And, um, even radio, when I did the sports show in radio ages ago, that felt to me like I was really kind of out of my comfort zone there because radio felt like a, a big, aspect of performance that um, that wasn't a part of the newspaper business, wasn't a part of the wire service business. And I really like writing. And right. I think um, writing, but even more so editing. So my favorite thing was always rewriting the thing I had just written. So going back into my first draft and making it better, that's my favorite thing in the world of work. Whoa. Um, yeah. That's so, rare. <laughs> so I, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just really satisfying and a lot of fun and finding the right word. And that's not so much a television thing, but the television offer was really good. Um, and I love Steve Pakin. He was my co-host. So I did that yep. for two years. And then TV was like just making me crazy because I'm also an, I'm, I'm an off the chart introvert and I don't think television is necessarily where I'm going to feel most at home. I thought I was right. losing my mind. Um and I uh I was pregnant. I was I was 9 months pregnant when I did my last nightly live news television show. It was a <laughs> show called Studio 2. My and then I was so um it was very funny. There's a, a woman named Janice Stein at the Monk School. She's a foreign affairs specialist at, at U of T at the Monk School. And she used to do a foreign affairs panel at TVO, at our show, Studio 2. And she became my just kind of... Um, she became my everything because we would meet in the green room and in the makeup chair and I would talk to her about what if I'm not a good mother and I don't know how to be a mother and I, I just we'd talk about just these intimate things that had nothing to do with her day job nor my day job but she did have two kids and she said to me one day I forget which one of us was in the makeup chair but one of us was and she said I know exactly what's going to happen. You are going to drown in motherhood in a really good way. It's going to take mm. over your life. You're going to love it and just promise me you will come back to the working world one day because it's going to become your mission and your life. And I Whoa. thought no it's not. I don't I'm not going to know how to do this. I don't even know if I'm going to like this. But I'm in pretty far now, so I better figure it out at some point. And 
I'll be damned if if Janice Stein didn't know. I don't know how she knew. Is she a psychic witch? She or? is a psychic witch foreign affairs <gasps> specialist. And I'll bet she's the only one in the world, right? That's who we need in foreign affairs. Isn't that cool? Qu- that is exactly <laughs> what we need in foreign affairs. So she is the psychic witch in the world of foreign affairs and global security. And what a what an amazing thing to be able to nail in somebody. She was right. I drowned in it. I happily drowned in it. I didn't work for years, like a couple of years. And we were, and I, I get how privileged that is. Not everybody who falls in love with being a mother gets to do that. We were really broke. Um, but we, we, we squeezed together mortgage payments. So we were able to stay in a house which we bought when it was really cheap during the last yeah. crash in Toronto. Um, so we were just broke and I stayed at home. Um, so that's kind of, uh, so I wasn't working. I had I had left sports. I had left television. Um, and then after a couple of years of that, I, I did some part-time stuff at TVO. I hosted a book show and then left that and was at home again with my kid, who was now by this point a toddler. And this is improv girl who's at bad yeah. dog comedy. And, um, <laughs> and, um, I got a call from CBC radio and the host of tapestry had left and they wondered if I was like ever going to go back to work or whether I just was never going to work again or what, the, what exactly was I doing inside the house? And I, I did a couple of weeks guest hosting and I was really into it. Um, and so that, that, that ended up leading to uh, the full-time job. And that was ages ago. And it's bizarre because the longest I've ever stayed at any job anywhere was five years because I um, I get bored. Um, and yeah. I've been at, the, I don't know how long this has been. I want to say like maybe 14 years, 15 years. I've been at it wow. forever. And the beat changes often enough and the subject matter just changes often enough that it hasn't been, um, it's never felt stale. Well, it seems like a topic that that has a meaning that evolves with the time. So certainly now you must be feeling a difference in the evil. You've expressed that you were feeling a difference in the interviews. Uh, yeah. And it, it, it sh- I think shows always evolve anyway, even if left to their own devices, they evolve. And then a new senior producer will come in every few years um, because the senior producers don't tend to stay as long as the hosts do. You know, they right. are they are taking on different challenges and new challenges at the CBC. Um, so the show will change um, when a new senior producer comes in and then I'll be getting restless with content. So between the bunch of us, we'll sort of, um, move it along. And I think it's fair to say it's, it's less about, um, capital R religion than it might've been 10 years ago. Um, it's, it's more about, um, if we do spirit, we, we still certainly do spirituality, but you, you could go weeks and you're hearing from people who aren't bringing something overtly spiritual to it. Well, yeah, but that's what I like so much about it because as a, as a person like myself who I feel like I'm, I, I, hunger for spiritual thought Mm. i also don't want it to be separated from the real world or science or philosophy i don't want it to be magical weirdness out in the corner oh that's such a cool way of putting it like if if it can be woven into the fabric of everyday life right or elements of science or philosophy yeah i think it is I, i think it's i think to me it's most interesting when it is 
Um, but that's really cool that that's what you're hungry for, because I think that's what I'm hungry for, too. And I want to hear from religious people in a way that's respectful, but not let, you know, not, not letting people get away with utter hurtful madness, which mm-hmm. I don't think your show at all does. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think it's really important. And what's interesting to me is your path there also sounds like kind of a, a series of magical events, if you want to oh, look at it that way. I mean, it's so a path. Cool. It's such an unusual path. And you weren't the person who sought out to be at the helm of something like this. So maybe that makes you the right person for it. That I've never that. Wow. Whoa. Mind blown. <laughs> I've never thought about it like that. Uh, well, yeah, I have been accused of overly magical thinking before. No, but it's, life, it's so. awesome. Magic think away. It, it, I must say, though, every once in a while, and I, so a, a guy wrote in the other day, we had done a rerun with Joanna Macy, who is this amazing, she's a goddess. She's a Buddhist teacher and a scholar of ecology and systems thinking, and she... I think I want to say she's almost 90 now. I uh and we had interviewed her about 9 years ago and we wanted to we wanted to run that show again. It was a full show and uh almost a full show when when we reran it. And a guy wrote saying I didn't hear it first time around. I'm so grateful for who this woman is in the world. And when she started crying, I started crying too at home. This was the this the listener speaking. And he said, it yeah. makes me curious, do you ever break down and cry during an interview? Um, or are you, you know, such a buttoned down journalist that that just doesn't happen and whatever emotion you're feeling, you're saving until you're out of the studio? And I wrote back, I said, first of all, thank you. That's hilarious. I lose it all the time during interviews. And I'm pretty sheepish about thinking that it's really obvious, like it's too much and that it's obvious to a listener. So I'm I'm thrilled to get your letter. I'm really glad that it's not obvious how much I cry on the air um, because- Do you? I was going to ask that when you were saying earlier, you cry on the air? Yeah. And I think I don't want to be someone who can't hold it together while I'm doing my job. So I- I try not to like sob uncontrollably, but I'm very often, and I'm, I always thought it was more obvious than it is, but um, I guess people aren't hearing it every time it happens. Are you crying on every episode? Not every no. episode. Come on, Becky. I'm not that bad. I don't bad. know. But oh, no, I, like Mary, I've, I've been crying constantly and I don't know why. Yeah, you mean, and I'm not worried about you it. You mean during the <laughs> pandemic or during the podcast or um, yeah, pandemic podcast, general life. But right, this period of time, I've it's actually come up on the podcast a couple of times. I'm like, oh. I'm crying, but I don't know that I'm sad. <gasps> yeah, so, don't you think sometimes you're crying because you're just so damn moved by something, or overwhelmed? Overwhelmed. Somebody something. is just saying something yeah. that really gets you where you live. Um, so I think I'm sheepish about it though, because I had a husband and I have a daughter, um, both of them very stoic, like, mm. like hearts of gold and huge hearts, but, but not hearts on your sleeve kind of person. So I've always felt like the odd duck in this house. And oh man, I'll give you an example. I've, 
And this is, I, I also feel sheepish about this. Like, I th- apparently, I'm learning this just talking to you for your podcast, Becky. I just <laughs> feel like an embarrassment 24-7. No. I, you know, like, I just do. Uh, everything I do and everything I am is, I'm sheepish about. So, who knew? There you go. Uh, well, can I just tell you that a life in comedy is accepting that you're an embarrassment and monetizing it? <laughs> then why? Then why? <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> leave you with that. If oh, there that's so good. If there wasn't value to being a bumbling goof, I wouldn't that's have a home to live so in. That's so good. That is so good. Except you're speaking to somebody who will not sit in the first three rows of an improv show in case someone says, hey, you, come on up. Because nah, You don't have to. Oh, don't no, I would die. I would die. Of, I don't sit in the front rows of an improv show either. Get out. Really? <laughs> well, yeah. I don't. Oh, wow. I also make too many faces when I watch things, so I'm very, very distracted. <laughs> but I don't sit in the first few rows because it's just it's a terror that somebody is going to say, "Hey, you, come on up," and I'll have to, like, I don't know, I'll have to pee my pants or run out of the room. Like, I j- I'm not I'm not stepping on your stage, but I also don't want to be that fool who's then creating a scene. Like, you know, oh, if you ask me hard enough, I'll just come up on stage. No, that's not why I'd be holding out. I'd be holding okay, out. Okay, well, now I'm going to make you do an improv show when we're done. Then this. I am never coming to an improv show again. Do <laughs> I not. I won't drag you out of the audience. Do I was going to like, make you agree to do monologues in a show or something. No, are you crazy? Okay, okay, okay. okay. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, my God. No. See, now look what you've, you, look what you've opened up. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Okay, this is funny because my mother... Um, uh, who has passed away? She when Aww. I was when I was a teenager when I started doing improv, she wouldn't come to shows um, because uh, it was too stressful for her to watch me. Yeah, she just I look a lot like her. I'm her firstborn child. Wow. I, I guess I sort of understood it as like it's like a part of her went crazy and is doing her worst nightmare. <laughs> right, that right, or or she had such empathy. That she could feel what whatever I mean, she was probably feeling more nerves than you were feeling. Well, she said that like when I was up there, she would in me, she would picture herself, and it it made her wow. actually hysterical, like laughing <laughs> uncontrollably, having to leave hysterics. <laughs> she also like blurted something out in a show I was doing once, which is like the opposite of what she was like. Like it would just make no. her out of control. So I really no. do understand that feeling. Oh, that's that is that is so cool. Well, just, so I think. Part of the reason I've been sheepish about it is that in my family, also my sister retired young, but was with the Toronto Fire Department. Like I am. Oh my God. So my sister would say to me and still says to me, you're such a gentle soul. And it's not entirely a compliment, right? Like she, she was living my nightmare every day that she went to work. And I know I couldn't even go near anything to do with that job. And uh, with my my daughter will so I've started I think I don't know this is I feel like I have these classic rock credentials right I play the bass I grew up on this stuff <laughs> I saw Bruce Springsteen's last of 10 concerts at the Meadowlands in New Jersey because I had to see him in New Jersey I saw Queen when Freddie Mercury was alive I thought I saw Thin Lizzy when Phil Linnett was alive like my classic rock credentials are really strong. So in times, so during the pandemic, and it happened once before, it happened last summer, uh, I love satellite radio, and I get hooked on 
the Yacht Rock Station. And I don't know if you're familiar with the term Yacht Rock, but yeah, it's- Yeah, I am. So yeah. is this your answer to the question of what calms you down during the pandemic? Well, not exactly. It, okay. it you know, like I think a lot of people have- been feeling, I saw this quote in connection with having a kid, and I always loved it. It was, if you decide to have a child, that's great, but just know that it's going to mean that forevermore, your heart is going to go walking around outside your body. Yeah. Which is true. And I kind of feel like during the pandemic, a lot of us feel like we have these hearts that have been broken open. On the on the minus side, that's a fucking painful way to go through life waltzing around with your heart exposed to the whole world. On the other hand, there's something very tender and beautiful and open about that. Anyway, no, Yacht Rock, 99% of me thinks it's a joke, right? But the 1% that is meeting it on its terms (laughs) is sitting in the kitchen just, oh my God, that is so poignant. I can't believe it. To the extent that my daughter will come down the stairs, she'll see me sobbing and she'll say, oh, tiny mama, did they play wildfire again? (laughs) (laughs) A song that I laughed at for the first 30 years that it was of its release. I laughed. And now... I, 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 okay, no, she ran call in wildfire and I, you bet I'm going to be sobbing when you're playing <laughs> wildfire. I, I just am. So, and it's honest. I guess. Well, it is. I mean, like, the the thing about also crying on the air, it's like it can be about your family, but also like if you are weeping, sobbing on every episode of a CBC show, there's so many societal pressures that tell you not to do that. For good reason. I'm not supposed to do that. I don't know. Is it good? If it's it's your real person meeting someone else's real person. Mm, Yeah, but shouldn't, shouldn't my real person be capable of getting a grip? Uh, I, no. Really? Really? Uh, Well, I won't say no. I'll make it an I statement. I don't think so. Wow. I don't think so. And I don't think that crying is losing control. Wow. Uh, This is great. This is a great interview where I just tell you what I think. No, but but I'm loving this because it's so counter to what my fear is. Like, I'm afraid that when I lose it on the radio... That uh, am I still in a in a position where I'm where I'm being a pro, and it's very important to me to be a pro. Yeah. Am I able to create that? You know, not to move into therapeutic jargon, but oh, please. (laughs) Part of the show does seem to be creating some kind of a container or vessel or space for the guest where I'm. I've done a shit ton of homework. I do a lot of homework. I over-prepare. I am really going to listen to you very intently. And I'm creating a space where you can bring anything to me. You can tell me things. I'm, I'm, I'm often going to know what you're referring to because I've done so much homework. I'm going to ask you. I think I'm going to ask you some really good questions and I'm really going to be there for you when you're answering. I'm going to listen really intently and I'm going to ask good follow-up questions, I think, I hope. So because all of that is so important to trying to do my job to a reasonably good degree, I kind of feel like if I'm if I'm then starting to break down and cry, how much of my part of the bargain is dissolving along with my tears? 
That's you know what I mean. Question. Now, first of all, I am not a radio host at CBC, so I I no, but you're a podcast host, and you're bringing I, some of the same sensibilities to bear. But I acknowledge that these are there are constraints. I also acknowledge that in spite of like my idealism, people listening to you on the radio might have very different reactions than I personally would. But um, in my own experience, I've found that um, I've had a, a a very gigantic amount of trauma in my life, and people know that, and it's made me a lot less judgmental of my own feelings, and also mm. in that respect, um, I've been an open, safe space for people because they know what I've been through and they've mm-hmm. seen me be a mess. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between just like falling to pieces, which also anyone's entitled to do, especially now, but anytime, and being irresponsible. Now, it depends on your guest, I guess, but like, yeah, I wouldn't feel less safe with you if you we were crying over something truly devastating. And I don't know, as I talk through this, I'm also like, what do we want from the radio? Do we want it to just calm us down or do we want it to be honest with us? Ooh. And I don't know the answer to that. I certainly like drive time being a bit light and fluffy right yeah, now, yeah, even, yeah. even though it's still called drive time and no one's driving anymore. <laughs> That's not honest. <laughs> that, that is not – you raise a good point, Becky. That is not honest. What should it be called? Like sit time? <laughs> every every single every single period of CBC Radio should just be called now, not even here and now. <laughs> now, now and now. now. <laughs> oh man, yeah, but that's such a good question. What do we want from the radio? And I, if I think of that as a listener, what I want is really different depending on where I've tuned in, what yes. what show I'm listening to, what network I've listening I'm listening to. Um because I listen to so much sports on the radio, I'm losing my mind without play-by-play hockey and play-by-play baseball. And I, you know, th- th- I mean to give you an ex- to give you an idea of the extent. So I I had this phone stolen uh late this winter. Um, right. And I had t- in the fall, I had taped two hours of the guy I adore in baseball play by play. It's not even my team. So I rank baseball by the broadcast teams. There are radio teams in the booth that I love. And I may or may not love the team that's on the field. But there you are mean you certain- love the you love the broadcast. I love the broadcast. Okay. Amazing. And so San Francisco Giants is one of those. The guy's name is John Miller. He has the most unbelievable voice. So I taped two hours of him last October because the, the Giants weren't going to make the playoffs. Um, and anyway, even if they had made the playoffs, the baseball season was soon going to be over for everybody. And um, it didn't matter because I had two hours of John Miller on my phone that was going to get me through to spring training. So the phone gets stolen in January, breaks my heart, but no big deal because written on my calendar in ink since uh, since end of September, beginning of October, the date February the 23rd has been circled because John Miller is going to be back on the radio again. Sorry, how many months were you planning on listening to this two hours of recording? Oh, so I would dip into it just the winter, like the, what what some of us call, you know, the long dark when there's no baseball. So oh that gosh. would have been November, December, January, up until February the 23rd, because February the 23rd spring training start, well, spring training started a couple of days before that, but that was the day that 
the San Francisco Giants were back on the radio from spring training. And I got, I guess it was two weeks, which meant four, four games, I think, four games of John Miller. And then they had to pull the plug on spring training because of the pandemic. And so I just, I thought like for a brief minute, that's okay. I've got my emergency stash. And then it was, <gasps> it's on the phone that was stolen. So, so all of which is to say, I, I'm a, I look for different things when I listen to different places on the radio. And, uh, like I'm, so I, I guess, well, I don't want to be letting down the person who's coming to tapestry for a reasonably professional host who's not losing it every 10 minutes whenever a guest says something moving or poignant. You know what I mean? That's, absolutely. That's fair. And and I think there are, I don't know, I, I guess I just, I guess I just, um, you can keep it together. I'm just telling you advice now. Please, but I don't, please, I don't I'm listening. Want you to, I don't want you to feel shame about your feelings. That's what it is. Yeah, I guess. Or like they're embarrassing or like, or that you're losing it or falling apart. Like it's that you, you've made a choice of how you want to present yourself, but I, I, it, it upsets me to hear you dislike oh, your feelings to that extent. That's so lovely. <laughs> I guess. Um, like they can be there, but maybe you don't cry. I don't know. What, yeah. what's, this tur- what's this turned into? This is, this, well, it's turned into my therapy session. I and love it. I'm on your couch, so thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, um, I guess, uh, like I feel so open to the world in that way. That's just how I move through the world. I find a lot of things poignant. I find a lot of things moving. And I, I don't... Hmm. I guess I'm a bit sheepish about how much of that I bring to my paid work. Yeah. Because I don't want my show to be that place where the host is just falling apart all the time. Then it becomes like some kind of bad SNL skit, you know, with like the the show that you turn on and the host cannot get through the opening script because of all the tears. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't want to be a joke, right? Well, see, this is maybe where my perspective just diverges because I do want to be a joke. So maybe I'm just giving you bad advice. <laughs> but you're so good. See, when you are being a joke, you want to be a joke. You're, you are you are trying to get some good laughs and you Mary, get them. Uh, I, when I try to do things earnestly, people laugh. Comedy chose me. <laughs> wow. My bass my, teacher says the, the instrument chooses you. I, yeah, I, I... Did comedy choose you, really? I'm so ungainly in a way that I can't control. Yes. When I think I'm dancing well, people are laughing at me. But isn't that a gift? Have... Isn't that a gift for, sure, for a comedy people... person? Yeah, sure. But people dance you, like laugh at you at the nightclub too. And you just got to live with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, or it's not that bad. Yeah. You know? Or it's not something to feel bad about. It's just the way you are. Yeah. I I. I hmm, I guess you know I mentioned how tough my sister is, how tough my kid is, how but when not like not tough full stop, like big yeah. big heart and able to move through the world with some degree of armor on. Like that was my husband, that's my daughter, that's my sister, three people I adore. So I guess I envy 
that ability to have a bit of your armor on when you're moving through the world. Not that they're hiding their real person, but their real person has some armor built in. And apparently, I was shortchanged on the armor front. My real person doesn't have armor built in, and I kind of wish it did. This is so cool. I've never said, like, I've never... I've never uh, said that out loud before because I guess I never realized it before. Damn, this you're is good. Amazing. You're <laughs> so good. Okay, I have one more question. Yeah. Um, what What for you is the relationship between spirituality and sport? Oh, oh, you're going to be so like you're going to regret you asked this. Yeah, I'm sure you've answered that one before. Well, no, we we did two hours of it on Tapestry. Like, I'll send you some links. Okay. Um, because I think I I think it's there in so many different ways. Um, a big part of it for me is the communal aspect of it. So. Right. When we moved into this house, it was 1993, and I'm not a Leaf fan. I'm a Habs fan. Don't hang up on me. Don't hate me. I don't care about sports, so (laughs) it doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Okay, so the Leafs were – so bear in mind, the backstory here is the Toronto Maple Leafs have not won the Stanley Cup since 1967. Right. And there's all kinds of lore and mystery and cool stuff that goes along with that. There's also a lot of heartache, a lot of anger. Um, and I come to that as kind of an outsider, uh, not entirely because I'm born and raised in downtown Toronto, but it, they're not my team. But it was amazing to have moved into this house in the spring of 1993. And the windows are all thrown open because it's a beautiful spring night. And the Leafs are playing the Los Angeles Kings at a certain, I forget how far into the playoffs we are. And the Leafs score. And I'm not here, I'm hearing the cheer inside my house, but I'm also hearing a roar from outside because every other house on the block has windows thrown open. And I'm hearing the secondhand cheers from across the, I've got goosebumps now. I, you know what? It's story. making me it's making me tear up and I don't give oh. a shit about sports. <laughs> <laughs> so and the, and to be at the Olympics and to have covered I, I don't have this privilege anymore, but I did at one point, and to have covered athletes for a long time. And then I was reminded of this the other day. So I'm covering the women's eight in Barcelona. The men's eight has taken place a short while before that. The women are all in the zone. They're at the other women's what? So the women's eight. So there are, there are eight rowers and a coxswain in, in, in this, uh, in this boat. Thank you. And the men's eight has just won the gold and the Canadian women are sequestered. They're in the zone. They're, they're getting ready for the race, but they can hear the strains of O Canada come across the rowing basin and they know it's for the Canadian men having won the gold. And so, and like moments like that, I I just think there's some kind of magic that accompanies sports a lot. And it's so funny though, because like the, a lot of the, a lot of the examples that I'm coming up with have to do with sound. It's hearing the sound of the leaf game, my neighbors cheering for the leaves through the open window. Um, 
And one, I think it was when Derek Jeter, a New York Yankee captain, retired, one of his former teammates plays the guitar and he comes to Yankee Stadium. And this was, this was Bernie Williams. And Bernie Williams plays Take Me Out to the Ball Game on his guitar. But it's Hmm. this, it's this, he has scored it himself. So it's this ornate, gorgeous, (laughs) classical guitar version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And the Yankees. So this is one of my broadcast teams. There's a woman. She was the first woman to call a game in Major League Baseball. Her name's Susan Waldman, and she is uh, with John Sterling, the New York Yankees broadcast team. And she, they're one of my teams, like Susan and John in the broadcast booth. And she's she is as tough as nails, and she cries. She cries in the broadcast booth, not as often as I do, apparently. But so when she cries, it really means something because it's holy fuck. Susan Waldman has just been moved to tears and she is, she's tough as nails. Anyway, she's crying because Bernie is playing for Jeter. And so there's a lot about sports that is so moving. And that to me is when it comes like when it's just this kind of spiritual experience. I don't know. It's I don't know what other word I would use to describe it. It's so moving and it's so many people sharing this thing and this moment at the same time that it just there's a there's a kind of heart to heart to heart to heart across, you know, 50,000 people and and more when you figure out all of us randos listening on the radio or online or you know wherever we're listening it's just like it's a beautiful thing right i guess sport is sort of like improvised theater we just don't oh, get the same crowds yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh but yeah you you guys are so the thing that blew me away to the extent nothing else I've ever seen on a stage has blown me away. And I include, you know, I I include Broadway here and I include, you know, whatever, I include Stratford and I include whatever was um, Catch-23 in reverse. (laughs) I, I was hysterical. I think I was your mom blurting out inappropriate things. Because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So, you know, Catch That's Unbelievable. Oh my to God. Hear. Catch 23, I love anyway, but to do it in reverse, so you're trying to match kind of the countdown clock that in some alternate universe has already been set. And the audacity of it, like that to me puts it in the territory of a sports feat that the person is going for it, but there's no way they're ever going to make it. And they do it. Wow. Okay. So, do you explain this to people? I was involved in a competitive improv show for over a decade Um, and every year there's a sort of experimental festival at Comedy Bar where we take our format and try to do an experiment with it and we're so many years in that we ran out of experiments and I said what about backwards oh my god so for a competitive show it's hard to even unpack how complicated it was Brendan Halloran hosted the night um, who actually is a sports writer no Um, kidding yeah I work works for TSN television I'm saying they're wrong but he hosted the night and had to figure out how to do everything backwards um (laughs) really all i I came up with the idea and then put all the weight on brenda oh my god so so that yeah you've 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 nailed it that's what the night was and to me what turned it into a sport and now no surprised no surprise that he's with tsn which stands for the sports network just in case that comes up yeah you are the sports network um it, it was just 
the sheer audacity of, oh my God, they're going for it. They're doing this thing. I, I can't keep straight in my head the mechanics of this. No, it makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense, but you guys are nailing it. You're doing the thing. You're doing the mechanics of the thing in reverse. And I like, I, I'm just, I'm just bowled over at the, the audacity of it, that you went for it and you nailed it. So yeah, it's total sports event. It was sports. You're an athlete. You're an athlete, Becky. It is, but like, you know, sports just get such bigger audiences and more attention. And okay, I know I'm talking too much about me, but like there was a friend of mine. No, you're not at all talking enough about you. There's a, well, I'm supposed to be interviewing you, but there was a friend of mine, Shanoa Allen, who um, grew up in Albuquerque as an actor. And when, uh, you know, he lived with me for like a month or something. And um, we were watching the news out of CHCH out of Hamilton and they were covering Little League. And I was like, oh, this is cute. And he was like, no, it isn't. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you know, he's from he's from the States. He's from football territory. Yeah. And he was like, how much coverage do they give to kids in the arts? <gasps> wow. And they're covering T-ball? Wow. And he came from a place where that culture of football was what, I don't, you know, probably got him bullied. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's like he was an Friday Night kid. Lights territory. Yeah. They, they live for football. But that said, um, what you're saying right now is really helpful to me because honestly, I've pretty much looked at the Olympics like nationalistic war. (laughs) Mm. Well, but that there is that side of it too. And there are a lot of people who study the sociology of sports and the sociology of the Olympics. And there there are a lot of movements saying the Olympics is, uh, it's just a one-way deal. The host city pays a fortune for rights. That's money that could have gone to food banks. That's money that could have gone to universities, public schools. Yeah social programs. It's all going to television rights and to the IOC, the the International Olympic Committee. And the gains are almost always on the side of the ledger of TV rights and the Olympics. It's it's a very rare city that comes out of that deal better than it was before. Barcelona was one of them. The Montreal Olympics, are they paid off now? Like if they are, it took two lifetimes. So you're not wrong and I would not want you to abandon that critical stance of... I don't think I will. <laughs> yeah. It, it, like, there, there's a lot of serious, important thought being put towards, you know, should we be doing sports on this scale and in this way? Yeah. Should we be making 21-year-olds blow their knees out doing yeah. ridiculous yeah. things and then they have nothing but maybe a job at home hardware? Right. Right. Th- those are all questions that are, really need to be asked. And somehow I think... A lot of us who love sports live in that kind of uneasy tension. We yeah. we we get that so much of this is cause for heartache and cause for protest. And at the same time, you know, when the women's eight rowing crew is hearing just off in the distance, oh, Canada, because the Canadian men have just won the gold, that is moving something in me that I can barely put into words. Well, it feels like... It feels like the spiritual components of it are so strong that they subvert the corporate interests that own them. I mean, I work in television. I have to deal with that all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure it's – I think there's a big clash between the two. I, I think it's – I think the spiritual elements are real, and I think the destructive – 
disastrous elements are real. There was a guy, a British journalist I love, he wrote a book called Lords of the Rings, and it was about the corruption in the Olympic movement right. and um, how much money changes hands to buy votes from the IOC to grant uh, a city the right to host the Olympics. And this, and he was banned from every Olympics uh, subsequent to the publication of Lords of the Rings. So I met him at a cafe in Barcelona because I he had quoted Randy and he had quoted me in the book, Andrew Jennings, wonderful guy. And we wanted to get together with him, but he was not allowed into any Olympic venue because he would not he was not able to get accreditation because he had blown the lid off so much of the Olympic world. Um, so we had to meet him outside, you know, and raise a glass with him outside the 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 venues. So there there are and he loves sports. So there are people who love sports who don't want to see their thing being sullied by corruption, by doping, by, you know, by yeah. everything that can be and I think it's all the more painful when it's something that could be spiritual and beautiful and then it's used to um it's used to to um, further ways of doping, or it's used to line some IOC members' pockets. It's all the more painful because it's something that you you want to exist in a more pure form, and you know the pure form is there, but it's it's overlaid with how many layers of of stuff that's really ugly. And so you resent it. You want it to be the the beautiful thing that you know there's a kernel of that beautiful thing inside it, but there's all this other shit that goes along with it too. I mean, that seems a pretty good description of the human condition, if we may. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, so Whoa. here's the thing. If I were if I were skilled and funny, I'd say let's trade jobs, but I think you just need to go and host Tapestry. I'm not going to try to pick up any of your comedy stuff, but I I feel like I need you to host Tapestry. You make connections that are just beyond me. I'm not I'll, you don't see me making any of these connections. I'll happily guest host for you, but you have to do monologues in one of my improv shows. I'll talk to you afterwards. It'll be okay. I'm not funny. You don't have to be. Oof. No. Like no. It's, it, it, no, okay. like, no, no. Okay. I, will, I will take no for an answer. <laughs> Thank you. Would your mother have said yes to this offer? Ooh. No, she would not. You don't know that. Yeah. And I don't know, from, and I know, don't know that, and I can't know that. Okay. But I, I, I might have been able to convince her. She also really? was, um, she also worked in radio and newspapers and didn't do TV. Mm. Very fascinating. In fact, um, now that she's dead, I think I can reveal that she had a late night call-in show in Vancouver on the radio w- under a pseudonym. No kidding. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I grew up in. And and did she like it? Did she enjoy it? Yeah, she was like the Lonely Hearts call-in <gasps> host. That is so cool. Call-ins are one of the hardest things I've ever done. Yeah, she could weirdly do that, but she did not love like, – I think she went on TV once wow. or something. For like related to that. Okay, Mary, we've we've talked for a really long time and it's really wonderful, but I have to ask you, are you a hopeful person? Do you have hope? Wow. I I wish I had more hope than I do. I feel like um I too have known some uh trauma and some loss and it's mm-hmm. kind of beaten me up and it's kind of stomped the hope out of me. There were times when I had 
desperate hope and it didn't go the way I really desperately needed it to go. Right. Um, I'm talking about losing my husband, young yeah. guy, healthy guy, 51. What the fuck? And yeah. I feel things like that kind of leave the boot marks on you in some ways so you can be someone who knows the value of hope and someone who in theory wants to be hopeful and tries to be hopeful and you can only you can only crawl out from under that boot to a certain extent so um, well and hope can be very destructive too and i'm glad you brought that up oh oh no you see you're bringing it up you're the tapestry host man i i i'm just kind of blathering on and you're yeah i'm no but saying that the ways that hope (sighs) yeah the ways that hope can let you down i've been there too oh it's it's um yeah, none of that is okay. But then I guess there's so much that gives me joy that mm. I think that helps buoy the hope along. Um, so yeah, there's so much that cracks me up and makes me laugh and, and fills me with like deep, deep, like bubbling, big time bubbling over joy. <laughs> so maybe like to the extent that goes hand in hand with hope, maybe, maybe it's not all gone. Maybe, maybe it's not dead. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And maybe it doesn't need to be hope. I keep wondering if it's the right word that I'm asking people about. Mm, What other words would you were were you kicking around? What other words? Well, I wasn't kicking any other words around. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I just um, sometimes I believe in my impulses too immediately. Um, No, I think that's awesome. You have you have good instincts. Thank you. Um, I I don't know. The other words that have come up are things like gratitude. I think it is about hope and the future. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a balance between just, you know, being in the present and, and truly confronting the things that we can, the potentials that we can see in front of us. And I think that's where the question and the word came from. Like, mm-hmm. to me, people have hope if they're just getting up in the morning and taking a step forward. Uh, that that takes tremendous bravery it like mm. to be a human being in the world you know yeah. like not even before even before the pandemic there was yeah. something hopeful if you just get up in the morning and just go like go and do the thing whatever the thing is that needs to be done so i'm curious and i know we're over time now i'm i'm just really curious about how people are answering that question when you ask it are are you finding more hopeful souls out there or have people just said nah fuck it hope is for dreamers um, it's such a mixed bag. Um, mm. I find Americans by and large more hopeful. <laughs> really? Yeah. Even, and I mean, I've talked to people in wow. New York City, Atlanta, Georgia, and Las Vegas. Wow. And these are my friends. Um, and again, in that sort of conversation of privilege, these are all people who are able right now to stay home. Yes. And we've all, we all, yes. we all are in a place to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And the, the, we did in those interviews. Um, But even so – oh, and Albuquerque, my friend in Albuquerque too. Wow. But um, yeah, I I have found that trend that Americans have an easier time with the concept and and Canadians might feel bad about having hope, which I – we're we're adorable, don't you think we're adorable? (laughs) My God, what what is wrong with us? We're 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 adorable. We're a bunch of quiet little messes. <laughs> I guess we are. Right? Yeah, check, check, and check. Quiet yeah, me little too. messes. Damn. Uh, <laughs> I I love talking to you. I'm your. Oh, my daughter says to say that she loves you. <laughs> she is. Uh, she just she 
loves uh, Catch-23 and she loves, you're one of her Im- comedy heroes and improv heroes and you're in her group, you're it. Oh, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. There, she <laughs> has a, to handle that. Oh, that's no, wonderful. She, she has a friend, this lovely guy, Henry Patterson, who is actually a tuba master student at U of T. <laughs> My goodness. All, yes, an improv guy. And she said, Henry's not going to believe that you're talking to Becky today. He is just not going to believe that anybody gets to talk to Becky Johnson. So... So thanks. I, I've I've gone up so many notches in my daughter's circle th- through you, you know, calling me. So thanks, Becky. I, I'm now I'm now a big deal in these circles because of you. Well, that's amazing because I'm middle aged. I have an old rusty Subaru and I rent. So <laughs> whatever you got going, yeah, you're their hero. So yeah, oh it's my awesome. Gosh. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I can't wait to get back on stage. I'll tell you that much. Oh yeah, do you miss it? Actually, I'm lying. I I don't. It's not that I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. But I've I've been a big proponent of um, cyclical quitting. Really, <laughs> I like taking breaks, and ah. I I used to feel bad about it. Like I, when I was younger, I was like, "Is it just over?" And I'm like, "Nah, the the field needs to lay fallow sometimes." Oh, that's a beautiful way to put it. That's how I felt because I get really overwhelmed. Yep. By the yeah, and also those shows don't pay you anything, so you got to keep a bunch of other jobs after right. as well. Right, it's a lot. That idea though of the field has to lay fallow for a while. You know what happens to the field once you give it a break? It comes back with all the more richness, right? Exactly. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and tell your daughter if she wants to continue with improv that if you only focus on improv, you end up with nothing to say. Uh Okay, well, she is actually a Civil War scholar. Oh, great. <laughs> so, so she's we, got it down. Then. So she's, she's, got, she's got a lot of other things on the go. Yep. Important. Yep. Very important. I, but I will pass that along. She, coming from you, she's really going <laughs> to... No, seriously. Like coming from her improv hero, she's going to want to hear all kinds of, you know, school of life tips. Well, let's all go out to a baseball game. <laughs> Are you making fun of me? You're making no. fun now. I absolutely am not. I want to see a baseball game through your eyes. Okay, then if you do, then you need to come over to my house and we're going to listen to it on the radio. <gasps> Is that okay? Yeah. We'll we'll crack open we'll crack open a nice bottle of wine. We'll we'll make we'll make, you know, a big mess of spaghetti or something. My do- Ella and I will feed you. <laughs> Henry will be here because he adores you and I adore him. So So excited. And then we're either going to listen to the New York Yankees or the San Francisco Giants on the radio. I want to listen to San Francisco. You really sold them. Oh, God. Yeah. He Like, you're just... But you're going to be hooked, right? You're going to be hooked on maybe or maybe not baseball, but you're going to be hooked on satellite radio so you can hear John Miller. You're, you're like, okay. You're not going to hear him once and then let him go. That's my prediction. Okay. I'm excited for this new horizon. So am I. So am I. Oh, it's great um, to talk to you. You too, Mary. Where can people find you on the internet or radio? So that would be uh, cbc.ca slash tapestry. And um, the show is on Facebook, although I'm not on Facebook. I'm on Twitter with the show account, and that's um, hashtag CBC Tapestry. And uh, I think I think Facebook is also CBC Tapestry, but uh, but I don't know how Facebook works, so don't quote me on that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but I'm all I spend way too much time on Twitter, so Twitter Twitter is a good way, or uh, or on the website uh, through the CBC. And I highly recommend everyone listen. In fact, in these times, it's a it's a specifically calming show. Oh, I'm it's- I'm so. Somebody wrote in the other day and said it's like a candle in the window on a dark night right now. Yeah. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard about the show. 
Absolutely. It stirs the pot and then lets it calm down. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> you can use that. There's a pull quote for it you. It stirs the pot and then lets it calm down. That is genius. I like I am going to steal that. I'm going to steal I'm going to steal so much of what you've said today, really. Please. Yeah. Please, art is ephemeral. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Mary. You're so welcome. Thank you, Becky. I hope we talk soon. <laughs> Me too. Okay, bye. Bye. H-Word Podcast is proud to be part of the Shop family of productions. Follow the shop on Instagram at the underscore shop to. Artwork this week by Serena Marie McCarroll, and our theme music is always by Laura Barrett. For information on all our artists and guests, please follow us everywhere at the H-Word Pod, or sign up for our newsletter at the H-Word Pod.com. H-Word.